Welcome to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. We help committed people stop wasting time and stop compromising on their goals. We build and rebuild strong people through one-on-one custom fitness solutions. No filler, no nonsense, no time to waste. Let's talk about it. Hey, hello, and welcome to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. My name is Justin McClintock, and this week we have Mandy Capehart on the pod. Mandy is a grief counselor as well as author. We got connected online, and we're having some conversations, and I was really taken aback at how much one-to-one I saw between issues that she deals with on a regular basis and issues I deal with as on a regular basis as a coach. We were having some really cool conversations about it, and I said she had to come on the podcast. She was extremely gracious with her time. Here is Mandy Capehart. Mandy Capehart, welcome to the Feel Strong Podcast. Oh, thank you, Justin. I'm so glad to be here with you today. I am really excited to have you here. You are, I would say, a a somewhat non-traditional guest for the Feel Strong Podcast, and I'm really excited for it. We got linked up online and uh, I thought I saw a way in for a really interesting conversation, which we've already been having offline, so we have to start recording and make this thing go. Would you tell people, you are a grief coach. Would you, could we start with, what's a grief coach? Absolutely, yeah. So I'm an author, a speaker, and a grief coach. And basically, my role is to come alongside people who are aware that they're grieving and want to do something about it. So my practice is full of clients who recognize that they are out of alignment with themselves, with them, their bodies, with their hearts, with their minds. And I give them tools and techniques to recognize where they've come off track and where they can start finding movement back toward themselves and this new version of themselves after loss. That sounds really interesting and a hard thing to come to. How does one, how did you end up doing this? Uh, Well, anybody who comes into grief work that I have found did not ever want to do it. And I'm pretty much the same way. I lost my mom in 2016 pretty suddenly she had been healthy her whole life but was diagnosed with cancer and then gone four months later and up until then she was the most significant loss although i can't remember a year that i hadn't lost someone in my life and so i had been very familiar with loss and grief so once my mother passed i had a reckoning with myself and decided that it needed to become either a very intentional integrated sense of understanding in the world for me or I was going to spiral and lose all my stability and all of my connection because we had a beautiful but complicated relationship and so fast forward to the pandemic as an author and as a speaker I'd been doing a lot of events up until uh, I wasn't and then I also lost my job at the start of the pandemic so I was homeschooling my daughter and trying to figure out what work from home looked like, knowing full well that regardless of the duration of the shutdown in all the different countries, the unmet needs of grievers globally was about to be generational. And I didn't want to live in a world that lacked grief literacy. So I opted then to write my own story about loss and put it into kind of a guidebook setting where it has my very strong conclusions. Um, but that it's offered as a tool that you can take pieces, throw away what doesn't work for you. Um, and then I also was am a part of a church. And so for me, I was grieving and realizing, oh, the church does not know what they're doing here. They can help for about a week. 
And then I'm on my own and I'm stuck wrestling with the biggest questions and pain of my life. And I feel like I'm doing it by myself. So the book is geared towards helping the church find, um, and people connected to a faith practice, find a way forward for themselves. And then my grief work came out of realizing a book is not enough. I'm a very dedicated, passionate, push forward kind of a person, um, in all areas. And so I decided to turn it into a coaching practice and uh, online and offline. That's and it's great. something all right. I'll tell you. <laughs> Just super easy work, not emotionally taxing at all. I imagine it's lighthearted. It's fine. I don't feel it in my body at all. I've never gotten hurt and realized I didn't process something correctly. Never, not at all. Uh, just to point something out for people listening, your journey has a lot of one-on-ones. We have a, a bunch of athletes and a fair amount of coaches on the other end of this. Your journey of going through what sounds like a, a very challenging time and then finding ways of dealing with it and finding ways that you help yourself and now you want to help others, that's where lots of fitness coaches kind of have their jumping off point. They Something's yeah. wrong in their life. Something's not going quite right. They find this thing that works. They find you know, maybe a special way that it works for them. They immediately want to share it with others. And your relation with the church is has a lot of one-to-ones with uh, certainly my relationship and in many ways the fitness industry's relationship with the medical industry of people saying, well, I, I want to be out of pain. I don't want to hurt anymore. I want to keep yeah. moving. I'm going to, go to my, I'm going to go to my doctor and I love doctors, but they are, they don't know a lot about movement. They don't know, some know some about pain, but about doing all the things you want to do in your life and being a really full human being, not just being able to wash yourself and go to the bathroom, but being able to yeah. go for a hike or play with your kids or do the things you want to do and trying to fill in that space. That's a really interesting correlation for me because that's a lot of what we're doing in a slightly different space. You use the term grief literacy. Could you, could you unpack that a little bit for me? I can. I also just want to say to what you just said, you are looking at it. It is a holistic person, right? You're not just a person with an injury that needs reconciliation to a broken bone being repaired. You're saying as a whole person, I want to continue to be whole, whatever that looks like for me now. And that you're absolutely right. That alignment between the medical profession and athletes and I mean, and grief too. I have a, my own grief process has been healing so much more because I found a sports chiropractor and a sports massage therapist. And I walk out feeling like I've just deadlifted 200 pounds, but I feel the healthiest I've ever felt because it's someone that, yes, knows what I'm doing in my normal life on a day-to-day basis, but also recognizes the whole body sense of me, not just let me adjust you and move you on. Let me just break down the muscle tissue and move you on. They're talking to me and being so holistic. And so that's, I just wanted to add that because finding the holistic people are the people who will give you space to even ask those questions for yourself as well. Um, and that's part of grief literacy. So being aware that grief is more than a death. It is loss of future self. It is loss of promises. It is losing a job, a relationship, an expectation is unmet. These losses that we don't connect to a physical death are often called ambiguous or disenfranchised. And athletes experience it over and over and over again when they have an injury. I used to play softball and I have uh, a knee injury from it that even just this morning triggered again during a workout and I had to stop and I had to sit down and say, I'm not a failure because I can't do this squat right now. 
I am resting because I am still in the process of healing. And I think that as we become more literate and aware of grief in our lives, daily lives, and not to make a big production of grief processing every day, right? We don't need to sit down for an hour and weep and journal and pray and, and whatever our practice is. But just being mindful of how we shift and how we are going forward is how we integrate and change our lives for the better. And, and the more we can gain that insight about what grief looks like in our lives and what actually helps us feel more aligned with who we are and better, then we become more holistic for ourselves and for the people around us so that when we see someone grieving, suddenly we're not just offering platitudes or saying, um, do you need anything? We're offering our authentic self that says, I see you and I am happy to listen and hear what you have to say. I don't have any answers, uh, but I don't want you to feel like you're alone in this. And that's a big difference between just saying like, it's going to get better or, oh my gosh, this one thing helped you should try this. Have you, have you read this book because it changed my life? No, that changed your life and that's awesome, but I'm not you. And grief literacy means we all become more compassionate and cognizant of what is actually helpful in the moment versus what decreases my discomfort as the hopeful grief supporter, you know? <laughs> That's a great thing to put out that, I mean, and so often I'm sure anyone listening has gone through this, but you're having some kind of a very hard time and you realize that other people are just trying to make themselves feel better and extract themselves yeah. from the situation as quickly as possible because it's very uncomfortable to sit in these situations, something I imagine yeah. you have to do on a very regular basis, but people are terrible at it. Yeah. Yeah. We don't understand that we're doing that either. We think we're being helpful. We think we're being encouraging. We share things like scriptures or quotes or poetry or, or resources that probably helped us, or maybe we've just heard of them and think that that's what a person needs. But that centering of ourselves in someone else's story really minimizes their ability to figure it out for themselves, not to do it alone and to feel isolated, but to, to feel connected to themselves in a new way and grief creates a secondary loss almost every day it's something we didn't see coming like when my mom died my daughter was about a year and a half old and I had taken for granted that in my mind I knew her birthday's coming up she'll be two and it'll be a bummer that mom's not there well the day of I forgot my mom did so much helping us get the birthday party set up and celebrating our daughter and and bringing everything to the, like, what moms and grandmas do, right? When they're really available and able to be invested time-wise with our families. And it just, it became something so revolutionary that morning that hit me like a brick. I'm like, oh, right. This is me experiencing my loss again. I have a loss of the memory of her being here now. And so um, recognizing those secondary losses is where we can start to see like, oh, I'm not just trying to fix someone as a grief supporter and I'm not trying to make it better on my behalf. I need to look at them and see who they are and what they tell me they need. And if they tell me they don't need know or don't need anything, it's my opportunity to say, well, I would love to be an option or a resource to you if you'll have me. And my line is open and maybe I'll check back with you in a month. Is that okay with you? You know, asking permission and getting, getting clarity on the boundaries. It keeps us from centering ourselves in someone else's story or trying to bring up the good old days and tell them it's going to be fine. Like you have this legacy. How could you not be happy about where you are now with such a, an exceptional life behind you? 
that makes so much sense and i'm i'm just i'm slightly taken aback by how much one-to-one work one-on-one fitness coaching that i do has to do with what you're talking about and specifically i have i work with a lot of people who have had some kind of significant setback either they're mm-hmm. they're suffering from chronic pain or they're coming back from a traumatic injury or another version of this people who have kind of moved into a different season of their life things have changed and they're sort of mourning their past self and I I see this a lot with people comparing their workouts or their performances or their body or their aesthetics or something like that to them from 10 or 15 or 20 years ago Mm -hmm. and very much mourning who they used to be and not celebrating who they are right now and finding the way into that can be really tricky. Does that resonate with you? It totally does. Yeah. One of the ways that I help clients find embodiment, right? Because athletes, of course, we're focused so intentionally on our body. And we know as coaches and a lot of athletes also know the value of mental wellness and physical wellness and emotional wellness. They all go hand in hand. But um, in my practice, I focus on alignment, uh, heart, mind, body, and spirit. And what happens typically is in grief, our, we get all out of alignment. One of those four areas is blown up and, or all of them, usually all of them. But because we are who we are, we're predisposed to taking our attention and putting it on one of those primarily. For example, most grievers immediately set their spiritual aside or make it the very forefront because either everything I believed is wrong because my person died or this thing happened and God promised that it wouldn't, or this is the only thing that's going to carry me through. And so when I have people come to me, I ask them about those areas of their life. Like, how's your thought life? What, what kind of thoughts do you think? How does your heart feel right now? What kind of feelings do you feel on a normal basis? Check in with your body. Have you thought about your toes lately? They are very crucial to stability. Have you considered anything else in your body that's holding you together? Like, how's your core, right? And, uh, and same questions with the spiritual because our alignment as a whole being relies on us giving attention and paying mind to all of those areas. And they all influence one another. So I think what's interesting too about athletes is I've been reading so much. I love Von Kessel's book, The Body Keeps the Score. It's traumatizing to read because (laughs) you have these moments of like, I'm never going to find healing. But, um, But the reality is you already are just by reading the book, right? So I think that recognizing the integration of all four parts of us as a whole being is the way we start to recognize like, oh, cool, I can do a hundred pushups and that's great in a few minutes, but I still beat myself up mentally because I used to be able to do 200 and I don't know how to come and become present with myself. And so there's a lot of, um, other things that I, I use to bring people out of the past or out of the future because some of us are very future-oriented, some of us are very past-oriented, and some of us really do excel at being in the present, which is great. I am not that person, totally future-oriented, so I have to like bring myself back. Like Someday this is going to be great. Well, it's actually great now. We just have to dig really deep to find what could be great now and hold on to that very tightly. <laughs> Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I am I have absolutely been guilty of, you know, talking about what we're doing five years from now and not realizing the wonderful place I'm yeah. standing in right now. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> For some of these past oriented people, I've had a lot of conversations where people are having, as I was describing before, sort of mourning their past self in some way, 
grieving not having what used to be. But if we dig into it, their goals have changed completely. And part of the reason they, they aren't where they used to be and with their performance or aesthetics or whatever is completely different is because when you dig into it, they don't want those things anymore, but somehow they still feel bad about it. Does this, have you run into this at all? This sort of like, it's a little bit of imposter syndrome. Yeah, I think uh, that's what I was going to bring up is it's slightly, it is connected to imposter syndrome because we have for however long created a, an avatar of ourselves, a goal, a something that we aspired to reach and whether we've reached it or not, who we are has changed. And that's true of so many humans as we grow older circumstances change our dreams. Like maybe when I was a kid, I dreamed of having 12 kids in a ranch to let them all run free on. I have one child and I live in the suburbs, right? That didn't change just because suddenly I wanted something different. That changed because of circumstances. And I think athletes have the most unique drive of maybe every, any people group out there. I can't, I I played a lot of sports as a kid and I've, uh, I have lost a lot of my ability to play sports as an adult. And uh, primarily just because I'm way too aggressive and I have, you know, maturity now that says you should probably put the bat down and walk away kind of a thing. But so I coach instead, but the, the kids as they're aging, like they're able to hyper-focus on one thing and one thing only. Like I remember student athletes when I was in high school, just that was all they could do. It was all they talked about. It was what they lived for. And, you know, 20 years later, looking back and seeing who went where and did what with their lives and just wondering the same questions. How did you integrate your dreams and who you've become? How do you, how do you relate back to who you were and how do you bring the pieces of who you were forward? It's the same thing if we're maturing and learning a different, any kind of um, mastery in our lives, we become new versions of ourselves. And I I just think that there's a particular nostalgia that comes in and says, this is, this was worthwhile then. So it must be honored and revered and be worthwhile always. And the truth is, must it? I just like to ask a lot of questions like, well, what does it, what would, if that were true today, what would it give you? How is it serving you? How does it serve you if it, as it stands right now, is it actually, is that vision of yourself serving who you are and who, where you're going? Because in the present, think about what thoughts does it make you think? What uh, emotions does it bring up? How does it feel in your body? Like, is it a pit in your stomach? Are you feeling despair? Let's connect all the dots and bring you from being this past oriented person because the past isn't bad. It gives us wisdom. It gives us insight. It gives us amazing reflections on and on where we've been and where we've gone. But because there can be, um, I don't know, just blocks, I'll say blocks because it could be lots of different things that kind of keep us tied to the past. Um, I think there's a lot of learning about attachments and what we carry and how it has defined us. And finding our identity from somewhere else is a very, very difficult task. So I don't say all of those things to be like, it's fine, you just have to choose a different identity. Um, No. You have to reconcile and wrestle with a lot of change in your life. And so it becomes very, very complex. Well, as people are, right? Yeah, understandably so. It should be complex. If it were easy, it would be so boring. It just, we've been told that if we do things the right way, it will be easy. And that is always a disservice. If you do things the right way, 
it will be perhaps light, slightly less complicated. If you do things, and the right way is so relative anyway. Like there is very few things in life that you can say, oh, there's a right way to do that. So I just, I don't know. That goes back to grief literacy for me. Like we have set each other up to be very... Um, obsessed with toxic positivity and this idea that we can create everything in our future and make it the best life and manifest everything the universe has for us. And then if it doesn't go right, somehow we've blown up or somehow we've failed. And the truth is, uh, nothing can be controlled like that. It's a beautiful dream, but it's just that. Every journey has setbacks in it and setbacks do not equate to failure. There is no Nothing yeah. I've ever read into, certainly in, in fitness and wellness and movement, none of this stuff moves in the linear way that you want it to. If you, right. if you zoom way out, it looks like direct progress. Oh, well, I went from here to here and everything's so much better. But as soon yeah. as you zoom in, you see all these ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs, yeah. and which is part of the reason we, we talk to people about kind of tracking things, whether it's just metrics or journaling or sleep or energy or feelings, because if you only... If you do that regularly, then you have a pretty good chance of catching the good days as well as the bad days, as opposed to if you only do it every once in a while or only zoom in on the bad days, which is easier to do, then it looks like everything's terrible all the time. And why would I even bother? Yeah, it's so easy to focus on the negative. I mean, in customer service, they say if you have a client with a great experience, they'll tell one or two people. If they have a negative experience, they'll tell 10 to 50. So you just, it, you think about that and it blows your mind because you're like, well, why would you, why would someone just run around town trying to badmouth a business that upset them? And then you have to take a moment like, wait a minute, I have done that. I have hated Bill's smoothie stand since I was a child because once I got half of a smoothie cup and I was supposed to get a whole smoothie cup, you know what I mean? Like we, we internalize these bitternesses and these grudges and these weird ideas about how to move through the world. And it's just to our detriment. Thinking again about people looking back to the past, I've talked about this with people before, but I don't think ever quite put all these pieces together. You know, I often talk about how, you know, the coach I was five years ago is a very different coach than I am now. And I'm glad, I'm proud of who I am now. I would never go back yes. to that. I don't want to be that person anymore. At the time, I was very satisfied. I thought I was doing great work and I was doing fine work, but I've just yeah. raised my standard. And that is part of, I think, people looking back is, if you want to go back to five years ago, are you saying that preceding five or the next five years from that point, has everything really been bad? Like this is the journey that we take to create people and all of the other things you're doing, maybe some of them aren't exactly where you were five years ago, but this is how we build a person and a life and all these experiences go into it, the good and the bad. Yeah, integration is a very difficult skill to master and I don't pretend to have mastered it, but I think practices of reflection and where you are willing to take a look back even six months prior and to your point recognizing what you were doing well and celebrating that and knowing yeah at the time I felt empowered I felt amazing same is true of me as a writer as a coach whatever it is even as an athlete I would never think that as a small child I could maintain the same level of muscle mass right my daughter is like a solid piece of muscle 45 pounds soaking wet and Every day I look at her in karate class and I see the muscles flexing under her gi and I think, girlfriend, if I can just teach you, it's a lie. This is a total lie. If I can just teach you how to continue to do push-ups and sit-ups and, and move your body every day and drink lots of water and eat well, then you'll maintain that forever. And I'm like, 
that's just not true. And and so I, I've never said it to her, but I have said, hey, what you're building now is discipline. You're creating habits in your life that the habits will follow you. The outcomes will change. But integration means maturing to the past where you can, or to the point where you can recognize what was valuable then. Not the outcomes, but the practices, the discipline, the mindsets, the understandings, the relationships, and carry that forward with us and let it become something that influences our values. Because the same is true of an athlete. 30 years ago, your values were very different. If you valued going to the Olympics, then 30 years later, do you still value going to the Olympics? Is that the highest calling on your life? Or what is the highest value in your life right now? Because year to year, month to month, our values can change and that influences who we are in the world and how we move through it. And so I think the same is true with anybody um, reflecting and finding pain in their past. It's not a downfall, like there's nothing wrong with finding pain. What becomes a stumbling block is when we find the pain and we try to sit with it, but we don't have tools and techniques to sit with it effectively. We just sit there and uh, reflect on it, but not really, really. It's kind of like Inside Out. Did you ever see that movie? Okay, so first of all, it makes me cry every time I see it, but she was a, an ice skater, and at the end, she's looking at these amazing memories of winning the, hitting the winning goal on her hockey team, and then she realizes that also it was sad because her last game with her team, and yet, because she can recognize both, she can see the value of saying, like, well, nothing stays the same, and I would love to be back with my team. I would love to be where I believed I was meant to be, but I'm also good here. And that memory, even though it carries painfulness, it still carries joy too. And that that's where I go back to with, like even with my kid and, and with any coaching clients, when we're talking about integration, how do you reflect back with intentionality so that when you return to the present and look at the life around you, you're not just saying, oh man, if coach would have put me in, we could have gone to state, you know? Now, how do people, I think a lot of times when athletes who have had these setbacks or, or moving on in a different season of their life run into exactly something you just described a minute ago, like when they reflect on it, their values have changed significantly. They know what it takes mm -hmm. to train for, for the Olympics. They know what it takes to uh, let their body do this kind of thing in the pool or on the track or whatever it is. And they don't want to do that anymore because it's so much sacrifice and such a right. a this sounds negative, but a myopic way of living their life, they have other things mm -hmm. that are more important to them now, but they're still having mm -hmm. a hard time reconciling that with them being a good person or capable or mm -hmm. things like that. How would it, talking to the athletes right now, how do people start to, I feel like this term is probably not right, but how do they start to kind of move on? I, your question reminds me of Michael Phelps back when he was like at the heyday, right? And he was eating what, 25,000 calories a day. I'll Something never like. forget. Oh, it was, I was, first of all, like, sounds great. I'll sign me up. And then the second he said, this is miserable. I hate my life. I hate the practice. I, I swim. What was he swimming? Like 10 hours a day and, and eating 25,000 calories. Yeah. Just asinine. But it was what mattered for him at the time, but he said, I'll never forget. He said, I don't enjoy eating. Food is not fun. Food is not good. It is plain out fuel. I think we lose sight of what brings us joy in life when we reflect back and have those values that have, um, have not necessarily, that have shifted, but haven't been given permission to go to bed. Like we have, I'm not a big believer in closure when it comes to grief only because 
grief is ongoing. Healing is ongoing. We're not dead yet. And we carry on with everything that goes through our stories. But we can create rituals around events or circumstances ending, like a funeral. That's a ritual that helps us bring a sense of completion to something, right? And I think when when clients of mine have been feeling really stuck in their past, I also don't love that word either, but have feeling overly connected to their past or really just attached to it, I ask about rituals. I ask about reflection. What are you doing that has caused you to over-identify with this sense of former self? Is it a connection to the emotional highs you felt? Are you over-identified with those as those were the outcomes? Really for athletes, are you overly connected to the body that you that you had? Has your identity been formed around your body? And if so, let's ask some questions. How does that serve you now? How did it serve you then? How did that fuel your values? What serves you now? How does your body serve you now? And I mean in a way of, are you mobile? Are you at the basics, right? Can you lift what you want to lift? Can you, you know, you're probably not going to deadlift what you did when you were 22 and training every day and eating a bajillion pounds of powder or protein powder, but what is your goal? And are you able to meet realistic life-affirming goals for yourself. I think that athletes in particular probably don't do a lot of life affirmation of where they are right now. It's really easy to look back and say, I was at my peak. And I think that phrase is so mean to tell someone that they've peaked or that their career, like that was the height of their career. And I'm like, that's so diminishing of everything they've done and every single day, the hard work. I'm like, I don't hear Someone say, oh, you're in retail, you're at the peak of your career, you just sold $2 million in a day, that's it, buddy. Like, what hope is left for anyone in that setting? I, so I hope I answered your question. I realized it got a little off track there. <laughs> no, that's great. Now, okay. turning that around, talking to the coaches, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning. Do you have any guidelines for people approaching folks who are in this state of grieving themselves or their past selves mm, yeah lots do you want it in context of athletics or just in general <laughs> let's keep it let's keep like fitness athletics movement wise okay. whether it's like capability yeah. or pure ath- athletic endeavor or aesthetics okay i think what's interesting too the carry the the crossover between the two is that uh, like pregnant women, grievers seem to belong to everyone. Pregnant women seem to belong to everyone. Athletes seem to have this feeling in their lives that everyone knows them or people believe, I know that athlete. Like, oh, I grew up watching Ken Griffey Jr. I must, I'm so personally connected, right? So we have this over-identification with the other. And as a grief supporter or someone that wants to be a supporter, we tend to cross boundaries left and right, and that's on us. So if someone is telling me they have a strong boundary, great. They've figured it out. They know how to enforce it. It's probably going to upset me if I'm not familiar with respecting boundaries for other people. I'm used to just asserting myself and inserting myself in their stories. But the reality is it's my role to see someone and recognize, do I have a relationship with that person? Do I have access to them? Do I have a right to come up and give them my opinion? Have I asked if they want my opinion or if they need help? Um, I think it's one thing to 
just say, oh, I'm just trying to help. But we're trying to help in our own way, in a way that we think would serve us really well or that has. So when it comes to recognizing, wow, someone in my life is grieving or, and really an acquaintance, an acquaintance that I know is grieving. It's a, it's a recognition of just asking the question, Hey, listen, I know your story. I know that you lost someone really valuable to you. I, and I know that we're not close, but my heart is with you. I want to be available. I have capacity in my life to be available for coffee dates once a week. If that is something that would benefit you, if that's something you want. And if not, no hard feelings because this isn't about me. I'm just making myself available so that you don't feel alone. And if you don't feel alone, that's phenomenal. So even in the athletic sense, old coaches, right? We have so much romance connected to our old coaches and our old teams. And the nostalgia is just rich, rich. And it's really easy to think that relationship that once was is still there. And the truth is, no, what is there is our memories. And if you got together and there will be things that come up and it feels like old times, but the truth is neither of you knows each other anymore. You don't know who you've become. It's been how many years. And so grieving in that context and, and grieving what once was has to be, gosh, coaches could be so incredibly present day influential in athletes and former athletes and their players by becoming literate of grief and what it means to actually move through that, not just through their own experience. Because, you know, most coaches are former athletes, right? When, so like I, I coach soccer, I played soccer. I don't coach anything else. I didn't play anything else well enough to coach it. But the, the, the reality is when kids get older, and I remember thinking back to, um, I worked with high school or middle school students that went out into high school and had these amazing careers in soccer. And just thinking to myself, these are incredible young men and women who are going to shift. Like when college is over, they're not all going on to try and play professional soccer. So knowing what I know of them does not mean that when they were 16 or 12 or however old they were with me, that I have a right at in their 20s to call them and say like, hey, are you grieving being not a professional soccer player. <laughs> like there's a relationship that's really important there. So it would be fun to connect with them and say like, Hey, what are you doing in your life? That's awesome. Blah, blah, blah. But it, it, it's really important to respect the fact that we're not who we were. 100%. And just to highlight something you said earlier, asking people if they want help with these things is super important, especially as someone, and I've seen this, I feel like I see this more with younger coaches but sometimes I see it with coaches who have like just taken a course or just gotten a new tool in their toolbox. Mm -hmm. And it may include grief literacy where they run into something, they see something or they notice something and their, their, their brain lights up. I know exactly how to fix this. And yeah. they rush in and start throwing solutions before even asking if the person wants help or if the person thinks it's a problem. Like the person yeah. may be working through things in their own way or perfectly fine with it. And yep. you know, whether it's a uh, physical, mental, emotional, or all of these things together, they, they may not want your help. And they they almost definitely don't want you to point out a problem they don't think is a problem. Yeah. Did you notice you're walking with a limp? I can straighten your leg out for you. Whoa. That, this is just my legit, swag. That's I've not had, a limp. I've had that conversation in the past two weeks. <laughs> really? I, mean, I had that oh conversation my goodness. two weeks ago with somebody. Yeah. They're like, so they're, they're, they do this thing really weird and I, I want to help them fix it. And we were like five or six minutes in the conversation where I was like, wait, wait, wait. Did they tell you this is a problem? Like, well, no, but I saw it. Tread 
very carefully here. Like yeah. they came to you for something and you're starting to point out things like it may be a problem. It may be something that, you know, as this relationship develops, they'll be happy talking to you about. It might be, you know, you might be looking at something that's a, a pre-existing condition that's always been that way and is not an issue yes. for them. So I, you just I love, hit all, the nail I love your toolbox, but whoa. <sighs> The, the pre-existing conditions, right? The unseen pain. What do we not see? That in and of itself, I mean, you could have an entire lifelong conversation about identifying the grief that we don't see or and recognizing, and that's really where so much of my work comes from is grief supporters when they've been brought in, right? When they've said, yeah, I want your help. I want you to come alongside me. And then that support falls off, whether it was by intention, it was a short-term thing, or someone just stops calling we assume the people are fine because we've stopped asking and it could be compassion fatigue it could be just exhaustion or maybe there was a lot of resistance and you don't feel like your time or attention was appreciated and so you feel hurt and decide to dismiss yourself but that unseen pain the things that we don't recognize i had i was doing crossfit for a minute because i think i mentioned i'm pretty competitive and I can deadlift a lot, but it doesn't mean that I should. And so I, I mean, every three months was walking away with a new injury. And my chiropractor was like, what are you doing? You are old. You are in your thirties. You need to stop. <laughs> and I'm like, first of all, you need to slow your roll because I just deadlifted 180 and I've never, so how dare you? But she wasn't wrong. Like I am not a person that is re well trained to do those things, right? I can do the one-off thing. And I was in a class once that they were telling me to sprint. Like we, were, we weren't sprinting. I had sprinted and then they were telling me to continue running. And we had like the devil's bike, you know, the, the um, horrifying oh, yes. monster. Okay. Yeah, the fan bike. And yes, we we're supposed to go from the fan bike to running around the building and back and no stops. I was having trouble breathing and they were shouting, you don't need water and you're not having trouble breathing. Your body's giving up before your, or your mind's giving up before your body's giving up. And I was like, what are you going to say if I do drop dead? Like, you don't know what I'm, you don't know what I'm carrying. You don't know my medical history. You don't know my physical history. I'm in a class with 30 women. I'm struggling to breathe. And you're telling me I don't need something. Hmm. We're, we're crossing some, and again, at the time they were young coaches. They were exceptional athletes. They were brilliant athletes, brilliant at what they did. But the lack of nuance and the lack of individual knowledge of who you were coaching, it really has actually influenced my own coaching practice because I recognize it would be great to put a class out there. It'd be really amazing to stand and say, I have this online course you can take yourself through as a grief coach, right? You can coach yourself. But there's too much nuance. There's too much individual story. Every single person has something that's going to be triggered based on something that I've said. And are, there are always going to be people that read my book and they're like, she's crazy. She doesn't know what she's talking about. It's very specific to that person. And that's why I say, you know what? Read the book, chew the meat, spit out the bones. Anything you encounter in life, you are not obligated to ingest 100%. This is your life and your story. And if someone is telling you, you don't need to drink water, but you couldn't get the next breath out because everything is so dry, screw them. Drink the water. And then maybe quit CrossFit because you're old and you can't move your body very well anymore, which is what I ended up doing. But <laughs> that's irrelevant. I, I would say the fault may lie more at the feet of those coaches than CrossFit. But it's yes, no, a I'm not disparaging CrossFit. I did love it. I oh, just, you can. I that's would, fine. you'll love this. I box jumps. Okay. I was pretty good at them. Mm -hmm. But because I was such an assertive person, I would like, 
stomp and stand up like I was like on a metal podium with every single one. And I hurt my ankle one day and I was like, why did I hurt my ankle? And she finally looked at me. She goes, you're curb stomping the box. Like you're trying to destroy it every time you jump. And I'm like, yeah, well, authority. This box is my box. And I'll show it. And it was terrible. It's not or a good... if that's a problem, coach, you could have told me after the first one, not waited until I, noticed... I was like, hey, why does the thing I, I do hurt? Oh, oh, you're doing that wrong. Oh, now you tell me. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I noticed for 30 hours you've been um, stomping like it offended you. It did offend me. Thanks for saying something. Again, like too many people in the class, not knowing your individual people. And knowing your people leads to more effective coaching because, and I say this to to anybody, when you understand what moves you, you'll understand what moves you forward. If you don't understand what moves you, then nothing's going to move you forward. And you'll always feel stuck and you'll always blame the programs. And, oh, that didn't work for me didn't it? How come? Because it sucks. That's not true. <laughs> or it might, that version of it sucked for you then. And that, that yeah. can be true. And it could still maybe be the way forward. I mean, there's a there's yeah. a very good reason I started a, a, all we do is one on one, all we do is individuals, because I kept running into this, like, big classes are fun, but group classes don't solve individual problems. And I'm yep. really interested in individual problems. I like I take group classes. Yeah. It's fun. I go in, get sweaty, hang out, high five people. But if I yeah. really want to work on something, then I need something that's just for me. And that this is this has been a fascinating conversation because yet again we find this one to one with all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Individuals are individuals, and they really need that individual attention. Yeah, we try to monetize things and scale, and and it's just naive because it it demonet it devalues the individual, and that. Um, I don't think that's worth it ever. There are some people who do and Godspeed to them. I probably will avoid them and I will just be kind and keep my mouth shut because I can't walk down that road. <laughs> uh, that is, that is very high of you. I try and do the same thing. I'm not always successful. Yeah. Well, my whole uh, brand is grief and compassion and, and healing. So I probably should keep the snark to a minimum. I try. That's very fair. Uh, mm -hmm. Mandy, this has been wonderful. Tell people, tell people about the book, where to buy it, anything, plug all of the things. Where should yeah, they go sure. and so how I can they find you if they you. want to? Oh, this perfect. is my book. It might be backwards. It's called Restorative Grief, Embracing Our Losses Without Losing Ourselves. It's on, I self-published because I just wanted it out into the world. So it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, and then my website is mandykapehart.com. I have two podcasts. I have the book available there. My, I do have a private online now that we've disparaged group coaching, I have a private online group coaching project called the Restorative Grief Project, uh, which really has become a safe place for people to fall apart. The idea being, come here, tell your story if you want to, but really here's a litany of resources that may or may not show up for you. If you want a resource from me, this is the place you can ask for it. Ask a question and I will develop it for you. And so it's been a very... Uh, very beautiful place. People have made new connections with other grievers that they now feel, oh my gosh, you experienced that when you lost your parent too. I thought I was the only one. So that's really, it's more of a community. Um, and then I'm very active on Instagram and Twitter and they're all, everything's at Mandy Capehart everywhere you go to find me. So easy. And we will put, yep. <laughs> uh, for anyone listening, all of that will be in the show notes. You can go look. Uh, we'll put the links to the book there also on all of the podcasts absolutely everything. Mandy Capehart, thank you so much for coming on the Feel Strong Podcast. Oh, you're so welcome, Justin. Thank you for having me. I It was a pleasure. It was. Thank you so much. 
thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your subscriptions. Your written reviews make a big difference. Thank you for those. Please keep them coming. Drop five stars while you're there. If you find these podcasts helpful, share them with friends. Send it on. We love it when the stuff gets shared outside of our bubble, outside of you folks. Any feedback, hit us up on Instagram at feelstrongfit on Instagram. DMs are open there for all of your questions and feedback. More questions about the program or you're ready to get started, feelstrong.me is the website feelstrong.me. If you're ready to make a change, if you're ready to feel better than you have in a long time, get in touch. My name is Justin McClintock. Feel strong.